Hey everyone, welcome back to another season, to season two of Withy Windle. But before we get on with the nonsense, I want to tell you about our friend S.D. Smith and his new writing program. It's called The Green Writer, and it's an accessible online course that encourages and equips aspiring authors of all ages to go and grow. Green writers are going. They have a green light. They aren't waiting for permission or until the fear is gone or the muse strikes. Green writers go. And green writers are growing. Like a green living thing. Alive. Not yet what they will become. They're becoming writers who create and share generous, excellent work. If you want to go and grow as a writer, join beloved best-selling author S.D. Smith, who is a good friend of ours and you know him as the author of the Green Ember series, and become a green writer. You can try a free sample at greenwriter.sdsmith.com. So again, here's the website. It's greenwriter, that's G-R-E-E-N-W-R-I-T-E-R.sdsmith.com. We know that there are so many kids who are listening who want to be writers just like S.D. Smith. So be sure to check out this program and let him help you along the way. And with that, let's get to it. This is season two of Withywindle. Hello, David. Hi, Graham. Did you like how I did it? I did. It was very enthusiastic. Okay, you ready for a joke? I would say if you're that enthusiastic, you better have one ready to go. What do you call a very lonely island? What? Sadagascar. (laughs) (laughs) I get to... (laughs) I get to give you a rating on this one, right? Well, first, uh, for bonus point... Uh, when when people move to that island, yeah. then what do you call it? Madagascar? Gladagascar. Oh, okay. I thought maybe people, be, you know, they're mad because they're moving into the neighborhood. And oh, like, yeah. You know, taking all those sweet spots. And... You could also call it inhabited. Is that a joke or is that just a fact? What's the rating? Well, let's go. Is it yours? Yeah, this is yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, 3.5. Fine. All right, you got one? Uh, I'm going to try to do better than 3.5. Mine is not island-related. Mm. Exactly. You? I'm taking points it's off It's kind already. of island-related. Okay. What do, you, what do penguins eat for breakfast, Graham? Easy. Fish. Ice Krispies. Oh. Ooh, that's good. Ice Krispies. All right, let's go. Um, let's, I'll give that a 5.5. Okay. That's, that's actually, let's round it up to a 6. Ooh, that's pretty good. But you know what? Enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. Welcome back to Withy Windle, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and grown-worthy jokes, and featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show, and it's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I am David Kern. And I am Graham Pittman. And this is... What is this, Graham? This is the beginning of what? The one-th episode of the tooth season. Episode tooth point one-th. Two point two. Yes. We are are back with another exciting, fun-filled, joke-filled, guest-filled, book-filled, riddle-filled season of your favorite we really filled this one up yeah it's just filled with lots of filledness i have to say i'm I'm very excited to finally be out of that basement and now to come back to the basement again to do the show yeah i guess i'm just back in the basement (laughs) you're back in the basement now yeah if you're if you're confused about why graham was in the basement for so long go back and listen to the season two trailer if you if you missed that 
I got confused. I get confused. It happens. We all get confused sometimes. I'm sure everybody who's listening has had the experience of being confused. So I've been in a basement for six weeks. What have you been up to, David? What have you been doing for the last couple months? Um, let's see. What have I been doing? Well, we have been renovating our workshop into a work space. What's that mean? What's renovate mean? <laughs> we made a concrete floor. Well, we paid a guy to make a concrete floor. Mm-hmm. It used to just be rocks. Now it's concrete. Now you can walk on it without your feet hurting. Yep. So we did that. We painted it. We fixed the corner. There was a corner missing. So we put the yeah. corner back on. Yeah, any good building needs four corners. It, it does. Not three. We added th- fourth. It needs fourth corners. Fourth corners. <laughs> we, we added some siding to it. We painted it. And now it's a place that we can... Sit well, back, relax, eat snacks. Exactly. Hey, speaking of snacks, what are we eating tonight? That's a, that, if you're new to Withy Windle, one thing we talk about is the snacks that we're eating when we're recording. So what we have, it's basically a free, infomer, a free infomercial for tasty treats. <laughs> so we've got a couple things tonight. We're light on the candy, but heavy on... Carbs. Yeah, exactly. Carbohydrates. Exactly. So what do we have tonight? Simple Graham? sugars. <laughs> yes. uh, we are eating um, extra toasty Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its are like an old staple for here on the podcast. Yeah, they are. You can eat so many of them and you don't feel full, which I think is what they're counting on. The Cheez-It Corporation. Never, I've, I've never thought about that before. Because they're so good and crunchy and you just keep eating them and eating them and eating them. Yeah. Um, I mean, have you ever found that you have been able to stop eating Cheez-Its at any time? I've never had enough Cheez-Its in my life. Do you just fall asleep? I have two hands full of Cheez-Its right now and I don't have enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also have, speaking of things you can't have enough of, we have ginger snaps. Now, yeah. are you a ginger snap guy? Of course. So, okay. I shouldn't say of course. Yes, I am because I believe in the ginger snap. And I think this is kind of a, a divisive cookie. I think it. I think people either really like it or they hate it. Would you really? agree with that? I, yeah, I guess so. I think ginger is one of those flavors. I love ginger. ginger Do you ale. like ginger tea? Yeah. Ginger, okay, so ginger ale. Candied ginger, which is just basically like pure ginger flavor. Do you like fresh ginger? Yeah. Like food with fresh ginger? Yeah. I wouldn't want to just eat the ginger root, I don't think. Maybe I'll try it. I don't know. That's how I love ginger. So if you were a treat, you'd be a gingerbread man. Ooh, uh, mm, that means somebody's <laughs> going to chase me. In reality, you'd probably just be a graham and cracker. I'm, and I'm, oh. I bet you never heard that one before. That's a 0.0. <laughs> if I was a gingerbread man, I would get chased and then eaten by a fox. So I don't want to be that. I'll just be a ginger snap. Well, what if in your version of the story, you escape? Because you're clever, so what? clever, you... Uh, Slowly melt in the sun? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, you'd probably be living in like a Arctic environment or okay. something. So but just you... a lone gingerbread man walking <laughs> solitary in the freezing cold. That right. sounds great. Yeah. Over a bunch of dunes. <laughs> just searching for who knows what. <laughs> Somewhere we need, a, we need some kid to just draw us a picture of Graham the gingerbread man solitary in the Arctic. Yeah. Building his, an igloo or Maybe something. with like a, one of his gingerbread hands, which is really, he doesn't have them. It's just a long mitten arm up to his eyes, trying to block the wind and snow. <laughs> so we've written a story here. We need it. We need someone else to flesh this into a picture book for us. Let it be a challenge to those of you who are listening. So yeah, we've got cheese. It's in gingerbread and you've got a sparkling key lime LaCroix here. 
Yeah, that's a sparkly water without sugar. So it's like soda, but not as good. <laughs> that's that's right. I have to drink it Every sometime. kid who's listening, their moms all drink LaCroix probably. So it's 2021 after all. They all just got a supply from Target today. So we've got a lot of great things going on on this season. Yeah, and lots a, of, lot of, a lot of good guests lots coming Lots of good up. guests. But we Should all, we mention some of them? Probably. That's probably a good or idea. should we keep it a secret? We kept it a secret last time. I don't know. Well, I don't know maybe we should better. talk about next week's. Okay. So next week's guest is... I don't know. Trenton Lee Stewart. Trenton Lee Stewart's next week? He, yeah. He didn't know that? He wrote The Mysterious Benedict Society. All of them. Whoa. So he's going to be the guest next week, which means that you can send us your questions. Now... I hope my house doesn't explode <laughs> so I can make that interview. That would be definitely preferable. So if you want to send us questions, you can always do that. What's the best place for kids to email their questions if they wanted to go about that route? You can email your questions to podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. That's right. I haven't said that in months. So. I just assumed you were in the basement, like, muttering to yourself, podcasts, podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. So, that, I mean, that's, that's one way you can. they can get a hold of us. That's true. We There's also, also yeah, go we ahead. also are on social media. We're on Instagram. Oh, I so. thought you were going to talk about the pigeons. Well, I was going to get to that. Oh, yeah. We're, oh. At, we're on Instagram at Goldberry underscore studios. That's right. But if you just type in, or your parents type in Goldberry Studios, it'll pop up. It's green. It's got a gold G. And you can see some, some fun stuff on there. You can message us. Message us your questions. Mm-hmm. Some of your parents are also on a Facebook group called Close Reads, and so they might want to put answers there or questions there as right, well talk, but about, we, talk we, about the pigeon we want, yeah okay all right so also wait what do they do they tie the they tie it to the pigeon's foot well they have to write it write your questions oh, right. on a piece of paper or i mean you I guess you could write it on a pigeon well hear me out on this one what if it turns out that you can teach a pigeon to say a question oh like, like a parrot yeah, I am thinking of a parrot, but what if a pigeon was like a less colorful parrot mm-hmm. that could fly further distances? I think their brains are a little bit smaller. Than parrots? Than parrots. You have to f- f- go look for a pigeon. With the biggest head you the can find. The biggest headed pigeon you can find. Train it for, you know, a month to a few years and see if you can get it to say any words. And then teach it your question over the next few years. Then, then give it directions. And then send it to us. Right. It'd be also good if you could teach the penguin to read a map. I mean, the, peng- the, the penguin. Pigeon, the pigeon to read a map. Yeah. Well, because I then it would be certain to get to us. I think they know. Oh, they just have instinct? You, you show them a picture of us. Oh, okay. And, then, and maybe an article of clothing for them to smell. Wait, do yeah, pigeons I, have I think you're thinking of coonhound. Oh, man. Like our dog. You give the dog. You let the dog so smell probably something. just email us. Yeah, I mean. Podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. But on the other hand, if you can pull off getting us anything with a pigeon, we would be very impressed and definitely read your question. Yeah. So, yeah, there is that. Unless the pigeon stays with us and just keeps talking. That's true. Like he doesn't leave. That's true. What, it's just repeating the, the question. question. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what books did Trenton Lee Stewart love as a child? What books did Trenton Lee Stewart love as a child? What books did Trenton Lee Stewart love as a child? If I just keep saying this, will it get funny after it's annoying or just going to be annoying I'm just forever? surprised the pigeon has your voice. It's well confusing. I can't do a lot. Of, I don't know what a pigeon's voice is, so I just had to do my own. Yeah. So, Speaking of animals, though, we're going to talk about a book. Last season, we talked about 
the railway children in yeah. Nesbitt's. So we're going to do the same thing this season. Well, not the same thing. We're not going to talk about the same book, but we're going to talk about a book. Graham, do you remember what the book is? Yeah. I don't. What is it? Uh, the book this season is Charlotte's Web. Oh, yeah. That's right. Do you know who wrote it? Naughty Nesbitt. Nope. Not B Nesbitt. But you got the right initial. The e? right first initial. E. 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 E-A. Nope. E-B. E-B. Oh, I'm You're so glad it was You're only the second this. letter in the alphabet. E-B. Give me a hint. Uh, it's a color. E-B red. Yes, exactly. Really? Nope. E-B white. E-B white. E-B white. The guy who wrote Stuart Little? Yeah. Oh, well, why did you just say that? <laughs> he really likes animal stories. That's true. Stuart Little is a good book. So wait, what's the other one we're going to do? Let me guess. Trumpet of the Swan. Wait, what? No, we're not. Which one are we doing? Didn't I already say it? Charlotte's Web. I forgot. Charlotte's Web. Oh, Charlotte's Web. Okay. All right, David, do you know anything about E.B. White? I mean, last time we had to guess what E. Nesbitt stood for. So let's try try finding out. Let's figure out what E.B. is. Earl. I'm going to guess Ewan. (laughs) Sounds like it starts with a U, but it starts with an E. It's a tricky Um, one. Edward. Uh, Excalibur. Oh, let's just go with that. Let's let's make our mutual guess Excalibur. Excalibur, Excalibur B. White. <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, okay, let me look it up here. Elwyn Brooks White. Elwyn Brooks White. And I sincerely did not know that until this moment. I just, E.B. White, E.B. White, E. Nesbitt. Elwyn, Elwyn Brooks. Well, I think we should call him, instead of E.B. White on the show, we should be calling him Elwyn Brooks Nesbitt. I mean, Elwin Brooks White every time we have to... Excalibur B. White. Right, Excalibur Excalibur Brooks. <laughs> he was born in 1899. Wow. So he just missed the 20th century. Well, no, I mean, he, did live he lived in, for a long time, but, he, but being born in well, the 20th century. Or you century. could say he just made it into the 19th century. There you century. go. I like that better. So, yeah, spin it positively. And Charlotte's Web was published in 1952... Okay, uh, and you mentioned Stuart Little that was published in the '40s, and that the Trumpet of the Swan uh, was in the '70s. So this is kind really? of in the middle of the things he wrote. That was a lot later, huh? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, so in the 1950s, how old were you in the 1950s? Oh, it's hard to remember. You know, so long ago. A thousand? I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. I was born in 19. I was born in the 1980s. So, so yeah, a thousand. Were, yeah, a thousand. A thousand. Yeah. Yeah, the math checks out on the that math, one. Yeah. And and Excalibur White uh, was born in the United States. You want to you want to guess the uh, the state? Pennsylvania. Oh, pretty close. Delaware. Nope. New Jersey. No, no bigger. The state's bigger. Mm-hmm. Alaska. No, you were you were in the New right York. area. New York. Oh. Yeah, he was born in Mount Vernon, New York. Oh. Should we say when he died or where he died? I, I Probably mean, not. Sure. Well, we mentioned it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Got to now. <laughs> uh, pretty close to home. Uh, he just went up a little bit to Maine. Oh, okay. And he was 86. That's a good long life. A good long he wrote life. some really good books. Lots lots of them, yeah. And he has a really cool signature. Does it look like a sword? Yeah. Like Excalibur? It's, it's a knight with a sword. <laughs> That's just his signature. Wow. He put a lot of detail into that. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Charlotte's Web. Yeah. We're going to talk about a couple chapters each week 
and then discuss them for about 10, 15 minutes. If people have listened to this show, they they get the gist of it. A lot of kids probably have read this book, which is kind of the reason why we chose it. Do you think so? You think a lot of the kids have, don't have, haven't read it? I don't know. I don't remember reading it as a kid. I I read it a little bit later, uh, but I definitely grew up with the story because of, because of the movie, things like that. But I, I don't remember this being kind of in rotation in the books I was interested in. Well, it definitely was for me. So maybe I was just speaking from experience. No, you're probably right. I mean, it's, it's sold a bajillion copies. So somebody's reading it. And they're still printing them and all that. We still mm-hmm. sell them in the, well, I guess technically it, people could be buying them for their kids and then their kids are using them to line their mattress. So line their mattress. I don't know. Just to make it, it comfier give, or, more, it more, or less comfy uh, to boost it up higher. Oh, I see. Yeah. If you get, 300 copies of a book and put it under your mattress, you're going to have basically a, a loft. A fire hazard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, a bed's already kind of a fire hazard. If you bought 300 copies of a book to turn into a piece of furniture, it would cost more than just buying the piece of furniture. That's true. It would cost about $3,000 to yeah. buy 300 copies of Charlotte's Web. Very expensive, Which you could, inefficient, you're, 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 uncomfortable <laughs> bed. You could make out of it would be wonderful. You're you make a lot of good points. <laughs> so we're going to discuss what are we going to discuss next week. How many chapters should we discuss? Uh, we're doing uh, chapters one through three. So if you one wanna, through three, if you want to get in on that conversation, go ahead and read those chapters uh, before next Friday. Perfect. So, so well, I want to hear about your experience with Charlotte Webb. Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web. Well, you know what's interesting is we kind of live near Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, you think it was named after uh, the spider? Well, I think it was named after a queen, but then I was wondering, do you think... But was the queen named after the spider? Or maybe the spider was named after the queen. Ooh, that sounds more realistic. Anyway, I remember reading it as a little kid, and I remember my... my, So my, I believe it was my first grade teacher, who also happened to be my grandma, Mm -hmm. read it to us. And then I believe we also read it at home another time. And then, of course, I remember seeing the movies. And I remember, I remember like every good book, it having sad moments, mm-hmm. but also having happy moments. Oh, sounds like the Railway Children. Yeah, that's what I remember. And I haven't read it. I haven't read it in quite a long time. So, although, you know, I read it to my kids when they were really little, but I don't remember it since then and i don't remember it in as much detail as we're going to get into yeah, yeah and that's, that's what i'm excited for us yeah. yeah but you don't do you remember it at all i yeah i remember i would probably watch that movie you know five or six times mm. so i yeah i remember it pretty well uh but yeah like you say i i'm it's a classic so chapters one through three one through three one th- tooth tooth three th- three th- <laughs> I feel like this joke is never going to... If these jokes aren't making sense, go back and listen to the last season, because we're not going to stop. We're just building momentum on... And, the, and the point is, we don't really know how to say numbers, we barely know how to count, and that's why this is a podcast for book, about books. <laughs> All right, well, we also have a guest this week, and yeah. this guest, this conversation was... How, what word would you use to describe this conversation? Effervescent. Effort. Ooh, that. What does that mean? Uh, you yeah, have to look, look it up. Didn't they hear? Didn't you hear the sound effect? Oh yeah, that means that one. I knew that meant something. That means for you kids at home to go look up a word. That's right. Effervescent. I don't know if that helps to to, to say it even to slower. It like that. Effer- yeah. What if you just like whisper it? Effervescent. Yeah. Does I'd also help? describe it as good. It is good. I was going to say it was blast. 
a blast. We had yeah. fun. We had, although maybe we shouldn't talk about blasts given that your house exploded last season. Yeah. So maybe it's too soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I felt that I hurt. Yeah. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I just, I want to apologize for that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Kate Albus though, because this conversation was good <laughs> <laughs> and also effervescent. Okay, so tell us about Kate Albus. Yeah, so Kate Albus is the author of A Place to Hang the Moon. Good book. Which came out, guess what year? Too long. It was this year. What? Uh, she's originally from New York, just hey, like... look at Excalibur B. White. Just like E.B. White, yep. Uh, but now she lives in rural Maryland mm. with her family. That sounds nice. Yeah. She didn't move too far either. Uh, She was a research psychologist Hmm. for many years. That sounds important. Yeah. Before stepping away to be with her children. That sounds important too. Yes, it does. Other than writing, her favorite activities are reading. What do you know? (laughs) Knitting, baking, and other pastimes that are inherently quiet. (laughs) I like that. That's a good bio. Sounds like you. get kind of loud uh, true as anyone who listens to this podcast yeah. knows but you also like to do quiet things yeah, anyway like we're not here to talk about you i shouldn't have done that i, I took the spotlight away you knit no oh <laughs> <laughs> we took the spotlight away from kate alvis for a second <laughs> let's get it over to our conversation with kate alvis because as you did say it was effervescent and it was great and it was a blast and we talked about a lot of things we talked about her new book we talked about her advice for writing we talked about some of her favorite books and the things that inspired her. And we think you're really going to enjoy this conversation because she's just a great guest. And uh, here it is. Here's our conversation with Kate Alice. Kate Alice, thank you so much for, for joining us on Withy Window. It's going to be a lot of fun and we're uh, honored to chat with you. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. So, yeah, Graham, Kate says that she, she's listened to the podcast before. Yeah. So does this give us, do you think we should mix it up? Like just completely change everything now or stick with the old traditions? <laughs> it's a good question. What do you think? Well, I think we at least gonna, need... I'm going to be punished for doing my homework. <laughs> <laughs> she makes She makes a fair point. We don't want to send the wrong, make All the right. wrong impression. Well, that means we got to start with the question. You've, you probably heard this. The, the first question that we ask the guests, this was sent in on our very first episode by, by a listener, by a young reader. And we have to ask you this too, Kate Alvis. Cheetos or Doritos? I was, I I did hear the question previously by listening to some of your other episodes and my answer, my real answer is yes. Um, I I like this. We get guests who are like, I don't eat either anymore. (laughs) Oh no, I eat both. um, Gladly. I would not, I would not turn down either one. (laughs) Um, If forced to choose, Um, I would probably go with Cheetos because it's something I wasn't allowed to have as a kid. So Mm. it would be an act of rebellion. Contraband. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So are you like a, you like all the specialty Cheetos? Are you, what do they call the the big fat cheese puffs? Puffs. Or it could be like jalapeno Cheetos or just. I like the crunchy ones. I like, I, I, I would prefer the ones that look kind of shriveled and I don't know. I don't know. Like like fingers. (laughs) Yeah. Not the, not the puffy ones. Um, although again, I wouldn't turn them down. I'm just saying if you offered me both. (laughs) Right. But, and so for Doritos, are you regular Doritos, Cool Ranch? Again, 
you're, what you're going to find here is that I am indiscriminate um, <laughs> in my in my junk food taste. But again, um, I would I would go Cool Ranch if um, if offered the opportunity to choose. Okay, indiscriminate in my junk food taste. That's a I think that's a phrase we should all aspire to. It's a yeah. it's a it's the it's a great way to make to maximize you know yeah. your snacking pleasure. I think that <laughs> defines us a little bit too. Yeah, I think so. I agree. I agree. So, hey, before we dive into some more questions from the readers, one thing we want to make sure we're doing here in season two is get the authors to kind of tell us a little bit about the books that that they have written. So um, we both have read all of or at least part of your books to or with or our kids or just by ourselves. I don't know. I, we didn't talk about that ahead of time, but, <laughs> but we, we really liked the book. Yes. Um, and we would love for you to just kind of introduce the book, especially since it's a new book, relatively new for kids who maybe haven't gotten to it yet or whose families haven't heard about it. Hopefully we can turn a lot of people onto, onto your book if they haven't read it yet. But um, could you just give us the, I don't know, the one minute synopsis of what this book is about? The elevator pitch. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so A Place to Hang the Moon is um, historical fiction set during England in world set in England during World War Two. Um, William, Edmund and Anna Pierce are three siblings who have recently been orphaned by their not especially grandmotherly grandmother. <laughs> Um, so they don't miss her all that much, but they do need a guardian. And in World War II England, uh, guardians are tough to come by. Mm. So they cook up a plan to be evacuated from London along with, um, a, a million or more other school children who were being mm. evacuated from London at the time. Um, and they, take a train to the countryside with their peers, hoping that they just happen to land with someone who's going to want to keep them forever. So. You know, we did, we talked about the railway children in the last season. I know. And it, I, while reading the book, I kept getting, you know, vibes, railway children vibes, the Nesbitt vibes. Was she an influence? A lot of those, the writers of that era were, um, were certainly influences on, I think the, I, I wrote the book at a time when my own kids were in that sweet spot for read aloud. And, uh, you know, we, I was reading aloud to them every night way past their bedtimes and, and we read pretty widely, but, but a lot of books from that era. So I think I sort of had that, the, the voice of that era in, in my head a bit, um, as I was, as I was writing this story and fun fact, I love the fact that you all were dissecting the railway children, um, about 10 years ago. Um, I, my family and I got to see a play of the railway children oh, cool. in a defunct railway station oh, nice. in London. That's really fun. Yeah, incredible. Really, really cool. So did they make it into a stage or did they just like, was it, were you seated at all? How did they do that? How did they set it up? The stage was actually on the tracks. So oh, wow. they, they, they actually used the tracks and an old, uh, an old engine and the, it, the stages, the, the seats were basically like bleachers on, okay. on the sides of, of this uh, no longer in use 
train station in London. So incredibly cool and one of the most memorable stage experiences I've ever had. That sounds awesome. So, Kate, there's a rumor going around Uh-oh. <laughs> that, uh, that this is your first book. Is this true? This is this is a hundred percent true. Okay, yeah. so then the question <laughs> is how and why. I guess it's like two how, questions. How did the book come to be? How did it become good? Uh, y- yeah. Why did you write a book? <laughs> Okay. Wow. Um, how did it become good? Thank you. Um, (laughs) so I started, you're not going to believe me when I say this because it sounds made up, but I didn't write this book thinking that anyone would ever read it. Mm -hmm. I, uh, my background is actually in science writing. I'm a child psychologist by, by training. Um, I, I gave that up 10 or 15 years ago to be with my kids. And, um, but, but that's where my background is, is in science writing and really, really boring scientific research articles. Mm-hmm. So I, for, for many years, while I was a really avid reader and, and always thought, wow, the, the life of a writer suits me well as, as an introvert and as somebody who kind of likes to stay in their pajamas all day. Um, <laughs> that sounds great, but, um, sounds like him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see you, <laughs> but, um, I think I always had in my head that you couldn't, that a person who wrote science writing couldn't write something creative. Mm. Um, you know, I, I always figured creative writing was, the same as academic writing, where you you have the whole thing mapped out before you start. You ha- you know the beginning, you know the middle, you know the end. You have an outline for everything, and I had no such outline for anything creative in my head. And I always kind of figured, well, you know, I'm I'm this kind of writer, not not this other kind of writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Uh, a number of years ago, I went to a friend's, um, I had a, a friend who was starting a business, a creative writing business. Um, and she was hosting workshops out of her home. And I went literally to be a warm body, just to be there to support her um, in her endeavor. And I found that I loved it. I loved the process of just sitting down and playing with words and I had this idea in my head about the World War II evacuation, and I'd been fascinated by that historical event for years and years and years. And I squirreled myself away in my little upstairs room while my kids were at school and just started writing. I didn't tell my kids I was doing it. I didn't tell my husband I was doing it. It was just this, um, it was just this, thing that I enjoyed, you know, I find in my life, there are not that many things that I enjoy just for the pure process of it. Mm. I, I'm, I, I'm generally sort of goal oriented, like get, you know, get to the the finish line and do what you're supposed to do. But for me, sitting in this little upstairs room and letting this story happen was just an, an act of pure joy in the moment. Hmm. So yeah, I, I, I wrote 
this, this book was the first thing that I ever wrote. I've written other things since some of which may see the light of day and some of which may not, but, um, I wrote this, uh, somewhat in secret. It was, I was probably, uh, 40 or 50 pages in before I fessed up to my husband and kids, what I was doing. What'd they say? um, uh, they said, wow. And that's why we've been having pizza for dinner so much. <laughs> um, a lot of Doritos then, and Cheetos. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but then, um, yeah, that, that was the story. And, and I really didn't, uh, again, didn't ever think it would go anywhere. Um, I, I read it to my kids. I read it to my husband, Um, eventually I let a couple of friends read it. Um, but it wasn't until I sat down and written other things that the thought ever occurred to me, well, you know, maybe that's something that could actually go out into the world. So, um, that's the story. That's, that's how it happened. (laughs) I have to say that was a really wonderful answer to a really bad question. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, you you, you ask a, you ask an open ended question, you give the guests a chance to shine. Yeah, they did. Not, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Hey, so you talked about being a science writer, and that's that's really interesting. And you talk, you mentioned they seem a little different, like different kinds of writing in some ways. Um, but how did science writing, or what did the skill, the art of science writing? I, mean, I know that's a general term, writing science type pieces. <laughs> how did that teach you or what did that offer you as a writer of fiction? Like, do you think you took anything from that kind of writing and applied it to writing of, of a novel? You know, that's, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really think about this on on a, someone asked me a question, you know, what was your, what was your research in? And, and interestingly enough, a lot of the research that I did in grad school was with, um, infants and children in foster care. Mm. So in some weird way, I think that my science writing background maybe influenced my interest in writing a story about kids who are looking for a home. Um, But from a writing perspective, um, I think being a science writer makes you very detail oriented. Um, It certainly helps with, I think, the nuts and bolts of the writing process. But in terms of how creative writing works for me um, compared to how writing a scientific journal article works. The processes are so different. I, I wander my way through a story. I, I really truly do just um, start with a premise and, and that is it. And that was a really liberating idea for, that, that was a really liberating idea for me. Like I said, I, I, when I first sat down and put pen to paper, I had this notion that, that you had to know the whole thing before you started. And it was actually, it was, a, it was Stephen King's beloved um, craft book on writing yeah, yeah. that where he talked about, you know, you don't need an outline. You don't need to know where you're going. All you need to know, all you need is a, is a premise. You know, what if there was, was a freeing. Yeah. Oh, it was so freeing um, and and really revelatory for me that um, that you you didn't have to know where you were going. And as it turns out, even for a person like me who's super planful in real life, um, 
I don't go into writing stories with a plan, as it turns out. <laughs> Let's move on to some listener questions. So the first one's from Jennifer, uh, and she wants to know, uh, what books made the biggest impact on you as a child? Which books do you find you draw the most inspiration from? I, um, I read voraciously as a child, and I still read voraciously as an adult. Um, as a kid... As an, as an oldster, I read the oldsters. Um, I grew up on Judy Bloom, E.B. White. I read Charlotte's Web more times than I could count. I, my local library used to play the, the film version of Charlotte's Web, the old cartoon version of yeah. Charlotte's Web. And I, every time they played it, I would go in and watch that film. Um, Roald Dahl, I Grew up on on a lot of Roald Dahl. Um, the first series that the first book that I ever remember being able to read to myself was one of the Little House books. Hmm. So I definitely grew up in that era. And in terms of of influencing me as a writer, I'm sure that those books all had influences. I think that um, the ones that I would credit most now are the books that I read aloud to my own kids when, when they were small, I, I love a good read aloud. And I, I love a book that lends itself to being read aloud. So were you conscious of trying to write a book that would be fun to read aloud when you were writing it? I suppose I probably was because again, I, I wrote this not really with an eye toward, can I publish this someday, hmm. but much more with an eye toward what do I want to read to my kids? Yeah. Yeah. So Brendan, who is 11, he wants to know what gave you the idea for William, Edmund, and Anna? Do you know anyone that inspired those characters? P.S. Edmund is my favorite, says Brendan. Oh, thank you, Brendan. And I can, I could never say out loud that any of them was, was my favorite, but I will say that I aspire to be more like Edmund. So (laughs) that's, that's saying something. (laughs) This, this is, Brendan, this is such a good question that I wish I knew how to answer. When I um, w- when I said before that I don't know how I don't know in advance what's going to happen, I think the same is true for characters. These three just sort of were. I wanted a, a sibling dynamic where each of the siblings brought something different to the table, played off of each other while still adoring each other and want wanting to support each other, but also kind of annoying each other <laughs> along the way. Yeah. So in terms of, of who inspired them, there are, I think there are certainly little bits and pieces of each of them that, that come from me and from my own and from my own kids. Um, I am probably most like William. I'm probably the, um, the responsible one. I, <laughs> I tend to wear my heart on my sleeve like Anna. And like I said, um, I, I aspire to greater Edmundishness. Mm-hmm. Like getting sick on trains. Is that the kind of, <laughs> not that part. Not okay. that. <laughs> speaking, speaking of somebody who is, what was, how did you phrase it earlier? You were equal opportunity or something with indiscriminate. your indiscriminate. indiscriminate with your snacks. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Yes. No, that, that is true. I suppose that's one place where Edmund and I would agree. Uh, we, would, hey, we would put all the sweets in our yeah, suit. Everybody wants a suitcase just yeah, full, full of, of sweets. Yeah. Right. Especially when the alternative is a gas mask. <laughs> so, okay. So speaking of sweets and people named Edmund, is there a Edmund from the Narnia books connection there? Was that an influence or is that coincidence? A thousand percent. Yeah, a thousand percent. Um, that honestly, that, um, the Narnia books were the place where I first learned about the evacuations of, of England in World War II. It is, it's the first line in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And it's a total throwaway. It's like when they went to the country to escape the war. And I remember even as a kid, um, being like, what? What, what, is, what is that about? And even, and, and reading the books to my own kids, I loved reading those books to my own kids. And I always say, I'm going to lose like whatever slim amount of writer street cred I have by saying that that was the part of the Narnia books that stayed with me as, as opposed to like talking beavers and, you know, witches and, um, and epic battles. It was the, um, it was the this very real, not fantastical historical event that um, that stayed with me. So yes, and and so Edmund is is an homage to that. Yeah, I was. I mean, as I started reading the book, that's the first thing that came to my mind. But I was I was kind of contrasting it with Lion Witch in the Wardrobe as well, because, like you say, it's it's mentioned just to kind of set up the premise, but we don't get any insight into the Pevensey's feelings about the whole thing or their trip out there or, you know, uh, you know, all the different emotions they would be feeling. So it was a very cool experience uh, starting to read when I started to read your book to, to see you flush all of that out. Yeah. And I wanted that when, uh, as much as I loved the, the Narnia stories, I, I, and as much as I think they're just such brilliantly done epic tales I am somebody who reads for emotion and who reads for characters and, and I love nothing more than falling in love with a character. So Mm -hmm. I think it was in my head, like, here's these, here's these four children who um, go off to do these incredible, fantastical things. But again, the thing that stayed with me was this very real life thing that happened. What would it have been like for them to get put on a train to go live with a stranger until who knows when. Mm. Um, so yeah, that w- that was the piece that stayed with me for sure. So, you know, we're living in kind of a strange time right now and you didn't, it doesn't sound like you wrote the book during all this COVID stuff that was happening, but it did get released during all of this. Have, have you thought about that at all about how those kids out there who are reading, who are, you know, in to varying degrees, depending on where they live and what their family situations are and all that, who are, <clears throat> it's not, you know, they're not being sent out to the country during a world war because their home is being bombed, but they, uh, you know, we're living in strange times for a lot of kids. So have, have you thought about that at all? And has that come up in any of your conversations with readers or on I've promotional tour? So much. Um, and the, the thing that has in in this whole crazy journey of this book coming out into the world, the thing that has been, the thing that's brought me to tears has been the handful of 
letters that I've gotten from either kids or from parents saying, mm-hmm. you know, this, this book has been what we've read as a family um, during this time of isolation and this time of fear. And, um, oh, I had one, I, there was one kid that wrote me a letter um, saying that they, they've done this as a family read aloud and, and the kids ranged in age from, I want to say like seven to 14 or something like that. And I don't know if you all have gotten to the part in the book, but there's um, there, there is a room that's featured in the book called the snug, which is this cozy place where, where the children go to read. And I don't, I won't give too much away, but the, um, but that name, the snug came from my own, um, I have family in, in, uh, Northern Ireland and my mm-hmm. dear, um, late, uh, I don't even know what her relationship is to me. Great, great aunt or something like that uh, had a room in her house that she referred to as the snug. And it was this tiny, cozy, delightful little room. And that was how the snug made it into the story. And this, this girl, this like 12 year old girl wrote me a letter saying my family now calls the room where we read this, the snug. Oh, that's and cool. We're always going to call it the snug now. And the idea of that being passed along to someone mm-hmm. and that little bit of, of tenderness and, and coziness and safety being passed along to somebody else is mind boggling to me. All right. There's a question here. Uh, it looks like it's from uh, me and it's a uh, multiple choice <laughs> question. <laughs> It's a question from Graham. All right. He's 30. How old are you? Kate Albus, uh, which of these is your favorite moon? Okay, you ready? <laughs> it's a, a theme. Oh, I get it. It's a themed question. A, the moon. <laughs> uh, B, uh, moon pie. Mm, that's, oh, this is getting hard. Yeah, the marshmallow. I'm already unsure what I would say. Uh, C, Alistair Mooney. Uh, or uh, D, the forest moon of Endor. Hmm. Well, I, I was gonna, I, I was gonna say you don't have to go any further than B. <laughs> <laughs> but I went further. It would be, we it all would went be further. hard to top the moon pie. Um, but yeah. and, and as it turned out, hearing your your other answers, uh, I was right. B and go no farther. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then this brings up a question that I that I like to ask writers. It's about snacks while you're writing. You know, there's all kinds of different... I mean, you you did say you were indiscriminate, I think, or equal opportunity or whatever. Yeah, so, so here's the weird thing, though. Not while I'm writing. Oh, that, this, is a, this is a new answer. Usually we get, you know, people um, people are snacking. They're either worried about getting crumbs all over their paper or their keyboard. So you just... No snacking while you're writing at all? How does your brain function? <laughs> No, it's weird, isn't it? Like (laughs) for somebody who, who genuinely is indiscriminate in her love of, of not even just junk food, but food in general. Yeah. I, I find that I want to just 
be with the laptop and that's all the thought, mm. like the thought doesn't even occur to me. Like, Oh, I wish I had something to, to eat right now. I realize that's really weird. And it sounds like I'm being noble or something. <laughs> <laughs> so at the Did end I, of your like, writing session, are you just like, I'm so hungry. I just want to eat all the things After yeah. I'm done writing. Yeah. Then I go downstairs and eat all the things. <laughs> are you a coffee or tea person? Um, both. I, Coffee is necessary to my functioning, but I only want that in the morning. And then tea, I, 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 there's nothing like a good cup of tea with milk and honey in the afternoon. Um, but I can go without that, without becoming unpleasant. To <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we need to circle back and just point out for the record that Kate Albus says she prefers a moon pie to the actual moon <laughs> that is vital to our survival as a species. <laughs> and as a scientist. So when is a, a place to hang the moon pie going to come out? Yeah. <laughs> sequel. We did get questions about whether you're going to do a sequel. So Yeah, that, let's, let's roll into that. So we've got several questions here about, um, well, they're all asking the same thing. Yeah. Is there going to be a sequel or are you working on something else? Well, there, I don't have plans for a sequel, um, much as I would like to do it. I'm not going to rule it out because I love these three children. Um, I love them so very much. They are, they are like part of my family. I joke with my husband that they're with us at Thanksgiving dinner. Mm. I think of them sometimes when I'm making that cup of tea in the afternoon, Mm. I sort of think in my head about making a cup of tea for them. Like they're, they're very much with me and I miss them not being with them on a daily basis anymore. But I also feel like the story does sort of wrap itself up in a, in a neat little mm. bow. I actually did sit down and try to start thinking about a, a what comes next story. And so I'm, I'm not going to rule it out, but, um, but somewhat, someone was asking me that story and they were saying, come on, couldn't you like make them have to find somebody new to live with? And I was <laughs> like, I, no, I can't. I couldn't do anything else to that. <laughs> Well, this that's interesting because it, when we finished Railway Children, we wanted more of that world and she didn't give it to us. And that's kind of, I mean, it's bittersweet because yeah. you want more, but it's also like the perfect way to end their chapter. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes people just keep writing because cause they can... If they do that, then they can buy more Cheetos and Doritos. Oh, I see, and, and I see what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> Which you is another yeah. one that's coming out in um, in 2023. That's again historical fiction, again World War II, but this time set in New York City. Oh wow! Ah. Can you tell us anything more? Um, yeah, the, um, the I'll tell you the the true story that it's based on, which is again. I find that the things that inspire me are just these, you know, it's one line from a Narnia book or a, a, an obscure essay that I read. Like, for example, there was a there was a guy that wrote for The New Yorker back in the mm, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And his name was Joseph Mitchell. And he wrote about the New York of his time and not the fancy New York, the sort of everyday New York. Mm -hmm. And he um, wrote this essay called up in the old hotel. 
that was published in the 50s. And it was about his friendship with this restaurant owner on the New York City waterfront. The guy owned a restaurant called Sloppy Louie's. And, and uh, Joseph Mitchell was friends with this guy. He was in Sloppy Louie's chatting with Louie and, and learned, he was asking him, it, it was one of these old New York City buildings that was like five stories tall and the restaurant only occupied the first and second stories. And they got to talking and Joseph Mitchell said, what's on the, what's, what's upstairs? Do you ever think about expanding to the third, fourth and fifth floors? And, uh, and Louis said, no, nobody's been up there in years. The only way to get up there is through like a, a dumbwaiter, like a human dumbwaiter, a hand elevator, basically. And so Joseph Mitchell was like, what are you talking about? Nobody's been up there. You've owned this, you've been, you've owned this restaurant for 20 something years. It's like, yeah, I'm not getting in there. It's dark and it's like creaky and, and who even knows if it would hold and nobody knows what's up there. So the essay is about Joseph Mitchell finally convincing Louie to get in the dumbwaiter and go see what's up there. And it turns out it's the remnants of an old, an old hotel, which was kind of disappointing for them. But for me, it was like, what a fabulous seed for a story. That's cool. That's cool. So you're working on that right now. Yeah, that one's actually, um, I'm, I'm waiting on the first round of edits for that one. So mm-hmm. the first draft is done and I'm waiting for feedback on that one and, and looking forward to, uh, yeah, looking forward to bringing that one into the world. It's been fun. I, my own family roots are in New York. Um, so it's been good fun to, good fun to, get to play around with that world. The actual building with the actual dumbwaiter still exists. And I got to go see it this summer. And oh, that's cool. Uh, be- that was going to be my question. If you're going to make a trip up. Yeah. <laughs> you already uh, have. Yeah, I did this summer. It was actually the first place that I went when I, when the world was sort of opening up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the building's now owned by the, um, by the South Street Seaport Museum or administered by the South Street Seaport Museum. And, uh, and they were kind enough to, to bring me up there and, and get to see the, the remnants of the building that inspired the story. So w- Was this book harder or easier to write than the first? Oh, gosh. Um, the same. I, 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 I find that when I'm... I find that it takes me a long time to get into a world, but once I'm in it, it I'm in it. And in both cases, it was a real labor of love and a place where I wanted to spend my day with, um, with these children and these characters and these places. So yeah, I after the the seed of the story, I spend I, I generally spend a lot of time sort of reading about the history of the time and place to just sort of get in that headspace, and then once I'm there, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you have any advice for young kids who are wanting to be writers or who are writers and are you know listening to this podcast? That's something we like to ask all the guests. This is probably the world's most popular answer, but I'm going to say it anyway. Read all the things. 
read all the things, even the things that you don't really want to read or that don't, don't sound interesting or not your thing. My, it's one of the reasons that I love being in a book group is because it kind of forces you to read things that you wouldn't have picked up yourself. And Mm -hmm. maybe my favorite grown up book in the whole wide world um, is a book that I was forced to read for book group. And when I heard the premise, it's Mary Doria Russell's The Sparrow. It's, it's about contact being made with a sentient life form on, a, on another planet. And a mission gets mounted by a group of priests to make contact with this other life form, um, which is so not my thing, like, you know, other planets, stuff like that. It's, it's not something I would ever pick up. She even turned down the moon. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. See, it's a, it's a theme. I I obviously am not invested in outer space at all. (laughs) Ended up being my, maybe my favorite book of all time. So that, that would be my, um, my advice to to young writers is to read everything you can get your hands on and and figure out what you what about it you love and what about it you don't love and mm. um and to sort of internalize that um i'm i'm not a i i enjoy reading craft books sort of how to books but i find that for me, it's much more of a feeling than a set of instructions, if that mm. makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I, you, the more you read, even if you're not conscious of it, you're, you're absorbing. You're absorbing a lot about story and about character and about, about setting and about everything. Yeah, yeah, about pacing. Mm-hmm. And, and could I tell some, could I give someone advice for how to properly pace a novel no, I couldn't give myself advice about how to properly pace a novel, but yeah, you could write one yeah. version of it that's completely differently paced than the second version of it. Yeah, yeah. There's it's just a feeling, you know. You know when you're reading when you're reading something um, when it's dragging, um, and and for me that's um, something that you absorb. Well, we need to get to our word of the week segment. Here in, here in a minute. Okay. But first, I, I'm just curious. Do you know of any other Albuses besides yourself and Dumbledore? Um, Are there any other famous Albuses? No, no. But, um, but <laughs> I, I, I will tell you a funny story about that. Some years ago, my family and I went to, were in England and we made plans to go see the film studio where they made the, the Harry Potter films. And we you had to book your tickets way in advance. And I couldn't find my receipt for the tickets. So I had to call England and um, <laughs> and ask them for for my my information. And so I called the Harry Potter, whatever it is, Harry Potter Studios. And uh, and the lady answers the phone and she and she asks for she asks for my last name. And and I said, it's Albus. And I, I always spell my last name because people often think that I'm saying Elvis instead of oh. Albus. <laughs> so I always spell it. I always say, yes, the name is Albus. A-L-B as in boy, U-S as in Sam. And there's this long pause. And the woman goes, <laughs> the woman goes, oh, as in Dumbledore. 
<laughs> and I was like, oh, right. Yeah. You guys wouldn't know, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, they, they know how to spell it. Okay, right. They would of all people. Okay. So it's time for our word of the week segment. Right. But in order to get a word of the week, we have to use our word of the week printer. Yes. Okay. So and you are in charge of that. Yeah. It hasn't been going great. I just, I don't mean to offend you, but it's been a little, a little, bit, a little bit of a rocky I'm on, road. I'm on thin ice. I, I mean, there's not really a lot of, we don't really have a lot of options for other alternatives, <laughs> <laughs> but, but okay. Can, yes. Yeah, so work? since we've been having so much trouble with the printer, I thought I would give it its own upgrade. So I thought maybe we could save a bit of power and uh, instead of just plugging it into the wall, you pay for the power in this building, right? What if we put an outlet on the printer and we plug it into itself, right? Are you following me? So I'm just going to plug it into itself. Should we check with the scientist who's with us today to find out if this is going to work? Let's push the button. Okay. All right. It sounds totally sound. (laughs) It's not turning on. Well, any, you know, any okay. ideas about why? Yeah, that... you know what? Let's see if any of the kids know. So, if any of you who are listening, if you can figure out why our printer, if you can just figure out why it never works, that would be great. But also specifically why it's not working right now. Okay, we're gonna find another way yet again to come up with a word. So we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. The printer didn't work, but we did find a good book that solved our problem. It's called Otherworldly. Words both strange and lovely from around the world. And we're going to pick a word from, from this book. Mm. Um, this book is really cool. It's got great illustrations. And uh, if you haven't picked this up yet, it'd be a great one, uh, especially if you want to be a writer or you just love words, then great one to pick up. This okay. was, I got that book as a gift from actually the same woman whose writing workshop I went to, to be a warm body that ended up inspiring me to want to write stories myself. She, that person gave me this book as a gift. So it all comes full circle. Wow. Well, have you memorized this book? Because you might have an advantage here. Definitely not. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. This word is, are you ready? Resfaber. R-E-S-F-E-B. E-R. And there's a 99% chance that I'm saying it wrong, but it's spelled R-E-S-F-E-B-E-R. Res Faber, Res Faber, something like that. I'll tell you this much. It's a noun. Okay. Okay. And we're back. Our word, once again, Res Faber, Res Rest Faber. Rest. <laughs> we'll go with Rest Faber. <laughs> Graham, as oh, always, yeah. you get to go first. Would you want to, you want to do a hint before you read it to make you feel better about yourself? A hint? No, why? <laughs> that make me feel worse about myself. Oh, it's oh. not, this answer is not right. <laughs> um, but it is a good answer. <laughs> okay. A Rest Faber is a blue scarf of at least 14 feet in length that one pulls out of an old wooden chest on especially windy nights. And it's a specific color. So you can look outside and if you see a bunch of long blue scarves, you know, eh, maybe I'll stay inside today. It's kind of a warning. Kate, I feel like the next time you are writing a book, you need to find a way to incorporate his version of a rest favor into the story. I want to. That's beautiful. Oh, look at that. I I did a good job. (laughs) 
I want, that to, be, I want that to be the right answer. <laughs> so I think that the answer is that a rest favor is that little piece of wood that is used to attach the blade of an ice skate to the shoe of the ice skate. Oh. So, you know, there's a, you got to have something to attach yeah. the blade that goes on the ice. This has to be a, like a vintage ice skate, though, because I think they're plastic now. You don't use vintage ice skates? No. <laughs> You're Canadian. <laughs> Kate, what do you think Res Faber is? You know, even having, even owning that book and, and having read it cover to cover, I, I can't say, I don't know where my, my uh, thought comes from, whether it's somewhere in the back of my mind, I, uh, I have this information buried, but guess is that a rest faber is a plant that grows uh wildly along the sides of the road in switzerland um like a ground cover sort of a plant Mm. attractive yet functional Mm. you know i will say the fun part about this is this is a noun that actually comes from the swedish Oh, and so you were on to something there with, I mean, sort of something there with the. Do you say Switzerland? I like, said Switzerland, which is like Europe. <laughs> yeah, they're like not that far from each other. The same neck of the woods. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what this this actually means? It, it is the restless race of the traveler's heart before the journey begins, when anxiety and anticipation are tangled together, a travel fever that can manifest as an illness. Oh, so it's fever, that fever. Oh. Yeah, it's the restless race of the traveler's heart before the journey begins when anxiety and anticipation are tangled together. That's so funny because when when I heard the word, I think what made me think plants on the side of the road was that I heard rest stop in my head. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it I think it might be race favor. Race favor? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Like I said, I knew I was gonna say it wrong. <laughs> well, Kate, thank you so much for joining us. This so, has been super fun. We have one more thing we usually ask. Yeah, about at the end of every episode, we ask um, we ask our guests to challenge someone else, a writer friend, illustrator friend, a bookish friend, uh, to join. To, we want you to call them out um, wow. and see if they want to see join. if they want to endure a conversation with Graham and I. Oh, there would be no endurance. This has been a total pleasure and I am nothing but grateful to you both for inviting me and, uh, and chatting with me for the last, however long it's been. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it would be really hard for me to pick just one person. Um, so writer friends, that's been the best thing that has come out of this whole uh, putting a book out into the world journey has been the people that I've gotten to meet along the way and the genuine friendships that I've gotten to make along the way. Um, I don't know whether those things would have happened if we weren't all locked down and on Zoom for the last Mm. year and a half. But whatever it is, I will take it. And I, I treasure these friendships with my fellow people who have books coming out in 2021 for kids. So, oh gosh, I'd have a very hard time picking just one of them. Somebody that I would love to hear more from whose book um, didn't come out this year. She's written plenty of books, but Laura Amy Schlitz. Um, she, uh, Good Maidens, Sweet Ladies, 
And the one that I just read of hers just devoured and loved was called A Drowned Maiden's Hair, which I thought was such a great title. Um, mm. I, I love books. I, I will pick up a book based on title very happily, <laughs> but she's somebody that I would love to hear more about her process. I know she has a new one that I have not read called Amber and Clay. And so um, that's somebody that I haven't heard interviews with, but would love to. Well, Laura, Laura, Amy Schlitz, is that what her name is? Mm-hmm. You've been challenged. <laughs> And Kate Albus, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for for writing the book. Good luck with the second one. And uh, hopefully lots and lots of kids are discovering it and and families and enjoying it as much as we have. So thanks for taking the time. Thank you both so much. Such a pleasure. All right. Well, thanks so much to Kate Albus for coming on the podcast. Told you it was effervescent. It was. It was. Did you think it was also a blast though? I I thought it was good. You thought it was good. Okay. No, it was a blast. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was great. So Kate, Kate Alvis is wonderful. And please do check out her book. If you have not read A Place to Hang the Moon, you read it, right, Graham? Yeah. Yeah. You think people should read it? They should. Yeah. It's a good audio book from what I heard. Oh, yeah. I, I should do that as well. So if you're, you know, in the, you know, in the market for an audio book for your next trip or just a good read aloud, it's such a wonderful read aloud. Like it was written yeah. In a way that's perfect for, for reading aloud. Okay. So a, a moment of honesty. Yeah. I said, yeah, I should, you know, I should also listen to the audiobook. Yeah. That did is you just what realize I did. what you did. That? that is what I did. I thought I read it. I did listen to it. That's how good it was. I thought I read it. <laughs> you were so enveloped in the story. Well, it is now time for that segment each week where we wrap up the episode. It's, it's called Riddle Time. Riddle Time. Riddle Time. Graham. You're the keeper of the riddle for this this first episode, which means you're also the keeper of the riddle rules for season two. The riddle riddle rules? Riddle rules. Riddle rules? Riddle rules for season two. Okay. Can you just kind of... What, what are we going to do this season? So, I'm about to tell you a riddle. This is part of riddle time. This is the most important part of riddle time. Where you tell the riddle? Where I tell the yeah. riddle. And then or I, somebody tells the right. riddle. One of us does, yeah. If you think you know the answer to the riddle, you are going to write to us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. We have put together a selection of books as a prize. Including a signed copy of Place to Hang the Moon by Kate Albus. And at the end of the season, we are going to pick from all the correct answers across all the people who have emailed us in uh, for all the riddles. And we're going to pick out, how many do you think? Two? Three? Yeah, a couple. couple? A couple or a few. A couple or a few. A couple or a few. And we will then uh, contact you, get your address, ship those books out to you. Send you a bundle. Send you a book bundle. So all you need to do to be entered is as many times as you want over the next 10 weeks, send us an answer to a riddle. So if you get it right all 10 times. 10 entries. 10 entries. You increase your odds. Should we do a lesson on odds? Probably not. We wouldn't be the right people to to teach about that. So yeah, you'll get more chances to win. You're more likely to win if you send us correct answers for all 10 riddles. So they they won't increase their evens. Just their odds. Just their odds. That's right. That's right. Do you you think we need to do a lesson on evens? Oh, we probably do, but we shouldn't. (laughs) All right, you ready for riddle? I'm ready for riddle number one for, well, of season two anyway. Okay. All right, picture this. Okay, I'm ready. Jeremy. How do I picture a Jeremy? However you want to picture Jeremy. Jared. 
I have Jeremiah. I have Jeremiah, my son. Oh yeah, that does work. Well, yeah, let's do it. Okay, Jeremiah, so Jeremiah, my son. Okay, I'm picturing him. Okay, I got him in my head. Okay, bursts out of the house. It happens all the time. Screen door flies open, slams back. It happens every day. Okay, he's walking outside. He's got his ball glove. Okay, he's scanning around. Okay, looking. You know, where should I throw this baseball that he has in his other hand? Okay, no one to play catch with. Oh. What's well, a sad story now? No, the other kids are asleep. He, he's oh, an early oh. riser. Oh, <laughs> false, but okay. <laughs> so Jeremiah goes out. You know, he's he's uh, hitting the leather with the ball. Yep, looking yep. around, tossing it into his glove. Yep, there he goes. Then he throws the ball as okay. hard as he can. Ooh, okay, Jeremiah's a pretty good thrower. There's nothing attached to this ball. Okay, no one else catches it or throws it back to him, but it comes right back to him. And he catches it. Okay. How is this possible? Wow. Do I make a guess? I forget how we do this. No. I don't. Okay. All right. Unless it's a very silly guess. Can you say that? Say it one more time. The end of it. So we know Jeremiah's out and he's outside. Yep. He's, he, he throws, throws the ball, the ball real as hard. hard as he can, okay. but there's nothing attached to the ball. Not like a spring or yep. a rope. Yep. Nobody else catches it, but it, it comes right back to him. Okay. How is this possible? This is a good one. I'm. You know what? I'm not going to make a guess. I'm going to have to think about it. Yeah. And I'll. And then we'll see next week. I'll guess next week. Uh, this is a good one. Okay, I'm picturing it. All right, I got it. It's a good riddle. And then he goes back in and has a hearty breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Made by me. Well, Graham, that's riddle time. And this has been another episode of of. Uh, wait, what's this podcast called? Uh, this is Withy Wendell, and oh, this yeah. was episode one of the Tooth season. Episode Tooth Point One. Got it. Graham, it's good to be back. We did it. We made it. It was an, it was, it was an adventure. Mm-hmm. We made it to the end. Well. So what do people have to look forward to? Next week, they've got, wait, who is it? Oh, yeah, Trenton Lee Stewart. Another episode with Trenton Lee Stewart, too? Well, yeah, yeah that's, that's the next episode. And they can send in their questions. They can email them to us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com or mm. find us on Instagram at goldberry studios goldberry underscore studios and here I was thinking season two was just one episode long well we, I tried to tell you this that's right ten episodes yeah, I ten got episodes it. I got yep, yep. Ten. ten. One zero. Not one not more than one. last season we've got a bunch of great guests send in your questions we can't wait to have a great time talking about books introducing you to authors and answering your questions so with that for Graham Pittman I'm David Kern. Until next time, happy reading. Goodbye. Goodbye.